the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. So there you go. Raptors are up 2-1, taking a game in Oakland in their first road game of the NBA Finals. Welcome to the South of Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene, .tv network, and part of the overtime media crew. In what many described as a must-win, or at the very least, the Raptors needed to take one of two on the road in Oakland. They got it done early. Joining me tonight to discuss all things Toronto Raptors Game 3 and to preview Game 4 is Richard Burfer of Pick and Pod, the official podcast of Ball and Roll. Rich, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, dude? Thank you for having me on again. Of course, man. Of course. Uh... Yeah, man. So the Raptors took care of business. They did it early and they didn't do it, you know, with our, well, at least myself and I assume you as well. No nail biting action. It was pretty, uh, it was a pretty confident win. Would you agree? I think, I think every Raptor fan kind of needs this, uh, needs this kind of game every now and then. I definitely needed it after game two. It's weird that, um, people are, well, at least on the other side, maybe Golden State fans or just maybe just NBA fans are really quick to pull the asterisk uh, trigger and to make Mm -hmm. this win or this perhaps if the Raptors do come out with the championship this entire series win to be irrelevant uh to that I say uh go fuck yourself but (laughs) let's say ye I completely agree like (laughs) who cares right if the if the Raptors win the championship this year People can say the whole asterisk thing, but I'm still going to go get drunk that night. I might as well go get drunk the next night. And while they can, they can hate all they want in the States, I'm going to be at the parade. So I don't care. I agree. It's not like when they hang the banners or they get a ring, there's an asterisk on the ring or an asterisk on the banner. No, 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 that would no. Be crazy, though. That you- would be funny and very savage. If the Raptors choose to do that, I have no issue with it. That would be funny. It's just a diamond asterisk, and it's just like the main thing on the top of the ring. Uh-huh. I love that. Just an asterisk in the shape of um, Kevin Durant's cap. <laughs> or just an ice pack, like, underneath it or something. The new logo of the playoff Golden State Warriors. Oh, my goodness. You know, we were touched on this on the previous pod, and, and uh, I, I it, it escaped me that they're closing down Oracle after this playoff run when the finals are over. This is it. And, you know, not to jump too ahead here, but how poetic would it be if the Raptors were to win the NBA championship in game six and end the legacy of the Oracle? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I would love it. I won't be thinking too much about the Oracle if the Raptors or Toronto sports team wins a championship, but you got to give credit to the Warriors. They've done incredible stuff over there over the past half decade. So if that's the way it ends, I mean, I'm 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 cool with it. And despite how yesterday looked, the Raptors kind of dominated for the most part. The Warriors still played really really hard, and you can just tell that they just didn't have the firepower to compete with the Raptors outside of Curry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fred Van Vliet was the key. Mm-hmm. And has been the key against Curry. And, you know, it, it's it's crazy to see the jump that he's made since having a child. Um, but, yeah, the, the entire team came out swinging. 
and the uh, the detriment at the beginning was was pretty good and the lead that they've had throughout the entire game was pretty comfortable um i know no lead is safe against golden state but on the back of my mind i was thinking to myself i think i think we're good i think we got this one on the road for sure you like you can't lose to quinn cook you know That's the <laughs> not thing. again not again oh my god don't even remind me i kind of trying to forget about game two ever happening but uh leor because i was on my podcast a couple of days ago and we talked mm-hmm. about just how important fred van vliet has been in defending steph curry and i just want to First of all, shout out to uh, Lior for mentioning that. And Nick Nurse yesterday, right out of the half, Danny Green had three fouls, sub Fred Van Vliet to start. And I think you got to credit Nick Nurse a lot for everything he's been doing the past few weeks. Like, And even throughout the playoffs, he trusted every single one of his guys when almost nobody has. And you just see how everything's starting to come together for the Raptors at the most crucial point of the season. For sure. And it made me think, um, it made me remember how crucial Marcus saw against Joel Embiid was in that series. And I'm getting the same type of vibe with Van Vliet versus Curry. Um, you're not going to shut him down. Like Steph Curry won't be completely eliminated from the equation, but you know, maybe he kind of can. Um, Steph had 17 points in the first quarter. And when Fred Van Vliet was guarding him in the second, do you know how many points Curry had? I have no idea. Maybe two? Zero. Wow. None. Like you can definitely you can definitely see the difference. And Fred Van Vliet is one of the Raptors' best on ball defenders. Yeah. And you gotta credit Freddie for doing everything he's doing on defense and and not scoring the ball a little bit too. Like he's been exceptional coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, with Steph Curry in this series. Versus Van Vliet, uh, averaging 24 points on 101 possessions, 33% field goal su- uh, shooting. But against Lowry, it's 29 points on 47 possessions. So it's much less uh, in getting done. He's basically shooting and scoring uh, way more against Lowry on 59% field goal shooting. That is ridiculous. That, that disparity is crazy. Mm-hmm. And yesterday in the first half, it just kind of looked ugly um, in the times that Kyle Lowry was on Steph. Like, Steph was beating him off the dribble. He was shooting over, over him. Like, that's not a matchup the Raptors want uh, moving forward. Like, Lowry just doesn't have the lateral quickness of a Steph Curry. That's why a Fred Van Bleed or even a Danny Green can maybe suffice a little bit. Um, but that being said, Steph Curry scored 47 points. Yes night like a lot of people in the media are saying the Raptors aren't going to shoot how they did in game three but is Steph Curry going to score 47 points again because last time I checked I think only LeBron James has scored more in a finals loss in NBA's in NBA history right so I think this is the worst that it can get in terms of just Steph Curry's brilliance um but we'll have to see no, for sure. And if if he is going to have like a 47-point game or maybe even a 50-point game, you have to believe that Clay and KD aren't on the floor, right? He's not putting the, those numbers up if Clay is healthy because the ball would be moving around a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm not really that shook right now. And I know that might be a little bit of hubris bleeding in. We're, it's only a one-game lead, right? It's still 2-1. We were freaking, well, I wasn't, and I believe you weren't either, but some Raptors fans, you know, being tied at one, there was a little bit of discomfort there. You know, the the Warriors can take a series in a blink of an eye. 
So if you have a game lead, you're very comfortable, you're very confident, but if and when this series is knotted again at two, yeah, you're going back home, you feel confident, but you know, it, now you have yourself a series of a best of three. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I feel comfortable against the Warriors uh, in a best of three uh, series at that point. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, I don't know if just collectively Raptor fans were stressed as much about that this series was tied at 1-1. I think it was more just like depression that of how the Raptors lost game two. Yeah. So I think it was more that. But like going into game three, I think... Felt like the Raptors had a chance, and then when Clay Thompson was ruled out, like, okay, you got to take care of business right here. And obviously, Kevin Durant isn't going to be here for Game Four, so you really have an incredible opportunity to take take a stranglehold on the series, for sure. And when you have uh, guys, I, I don't want to call them bench players anymore because you know, guys like Fred Van Vliet have been proven to be a little bit more than just bench players. Um, everyone is certainly stepping up. Um, and you mentioned Nick Nurse and you credit the adjustments that he's made. I sort of want to piggyback on that because, you know, late in the second quarter, I was thinking to myself, Danny Green is good against Curry. He's he's decent against Curry in small handfuls, right? You can't rely on him to maybe guard Curry for a good five to six minute stretch because Curry will just outrun him and make Green gassed. So you got to credit Nick Nurse for putting in Fred Van Vliet to start the second half. I think that's huge, and I'm sort of at the point now. Maybe you'll disagree, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will flip their shit if they hear this, but if this matchup is advantageous for the Raptors defensively, and as we've discovered, I mean, discussed rather on your show and on mine here, defense is what wins championships. Maybe it is in the Raptors' best interest to have Green come off the bench and Van Vliet start. What do you think? I mean... I, I don't know because I think a big reason why Danny Green came out was not um, didn't start the third quarter was also because he had three fouls. So mm. there's probably would have preferred someone like Fred VanVleet who wasn't in foul trouble to kind of play uh, Steph Curry a little bit more aggressively. But that being said, we've seen throughout the season that Danny Green does a lot better playing with. Kyle Lowry and I just feel like if Kyle Lowry goes to the bench and then Danny Green comes on I just don't think he's going to be that effective because like we've seen yesterday Danny Green excels when Kyle Lowry is pushing the tempo Kyle Lowry is aggressive and then there's kickouts that are just available for Kyle Lowry and guys are open when uh, Kyle Lowry is when Kyle Lowry is aggressive and that's kind of how Danny Green benefited yesterday. He had a couple of really open shots and that's just because the Raptors just kept pushing the tempo and Kyle Lowry was just being aggressive the entire game. And, but that being said, uh, Danny, I think Danny Green should still start, but you don't have to have such a tight leash on him. Like if after five, six minutes, it doesn't really work. Then, I mean, you can always put Fred Van Vliet in. And even if, especially with Clay Thompson coming back, that's a six eight dude. Like it's going to be tough to match up against him with two little guys in the in the Raptor backcourt, right? No, for sure. And I I tend to agree with you on this. I don't really advocate for the notion of Fred VanVleet. I'm only throwing that out there because it was discussed on Twitter and people mm-hmm. were suggesting it. I did, my attitude is is this right now. There's nothing broken really with the Raptors system right now. Um, mm-hmm. If, if Nick Nurse wants to give Danny Green some time to get his feet established against Steph Curry and try to give it a chance, and on the offensive end, try to get his shot down 
I'm mm-hmm. cool with it because it seems to be working just fine. And mm-hmm. if that means Fred Van Vliet has to come off the bench and sort of supplement that for Danny Green, fine mm-hmm. with it too. Because maybe this is just an aspect of Danny Green, th- I mean, sorry, Fred Van Vliet is thriving more coming off the bench and mm-hmm. not being thrown into this role, this high-intensity uh, role as a starting member of the, of the squad. Maybe he performs better with the bench unit. I don't know. But right now, I'm really uh, hesitant to really tinker with anything because it seems to be flowing just fine. Exactly. And the Raptors have won 10 of 12 quarters so far. Like the Raptors have been the much better team. And outside of a seven minute stretch in the third quarter, the Raptors should realistically be up three, nothing in this series. So I wouldn't, I would say just keep everything the same and just keep making shots. Like Danny green, he, he got a lot of flack for how he's been playing these playoffs, but he made six, three pointers yesterday Steph Curry made six three-pointers, and obviously Steph Curry scored 47 points, but the Raptors did as best of a job as they could on him for the most part. Like, a lot of those shots were just impossibly hard to make. Like, there was one in the corner with Pascal Siakam and and another guy just all over him, and he just swishes it. And then there are the times when Steph Curry just gets the calls that only Steph Curry can get. Like, the dude had about 14 free throws last night because he gets those calls, right? So... That being said, I don't think he's going to score 47 points again, especially with uh, Clay coming back and if Kevin Durant say comes back. I just think the Raptors got to keep sticking to their guns and doing what they've been doing so far. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's keep it rolling. I do want to talk about um, the incident that happened with Kyle Lowry because I think that's noteworthy, not just for the purpose of Toronto Raptors fans, but I think there's a much bigger message being sent uh, throughout the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously last night there was an incident. Kyle Lowry, to his credit, as he always does, plays hard, right? And this is the NBA Finals. This is his first Finals appearance. So you better believe that he's going to give it his all. He's going to sacrifice his body, as he has been with this uh, left thumb throughout this entire playoff run ever since he got injured. Um, he went for a ball going out of bounds. Dove into the fans, um, and I, I guess it's a minority owner of the Golden State Warriors or an investor, what have you. His name's Mark Stevens. Went out of his way to push Kyle Lowry, pretty much put his hands on Kyle Lowry, and I'm sure some things were said as well. Um, I find this significant, the action rather significant, because he didn't jump into Stevens. Like, Stevens was not even harmed at all. He wasn't even touched by Lowry. And Stevens took it upon himself to push him. Um, As a result, the NBA has banned him for one year and fined him $500,000. Now, this isn't a minority owner of the Golden State Warriors, so this might be chump change to him. But at the same time, this is sending a message by banning him from the stand. So I kind of wanted to get your take. What did you think of the incident? How did you feel about Kyle Lowry basically or... In, in fact, totally maintaining his poise throughout the situation. And uh, do you think the punishment fits the crime? Mm-hmm. Well, first thing first, fuck that guy. Right. Because you never touch the player. And as a guy, and he's a wealthy, rich guy who sits in the front row, as a dude who sits in the front row, and I'm sure this isn't his first time there, Like you got to realize that basketball players are going to dive into the stands every now and then to go after a loose ball. Oh, yeah. Like if they competition i have no idea what he was thinking in that moment maybe he was pissed because his warriors were losing but you can never touch the player and it was the nba great job by the league 
uh, doing something really, really quick and immediate because unlike any other sport, the, the, like the fans are right on the court. So you got to protect your players. You have to make sure that this doesn't happen because if Kyle Lowry say was 10 years younger or somebody else, like, I mean, malice at the palace happened a while back. Like if he was an immature player or a young player, like who knows, maybe he would have swung a punch, oh, yeah. you know? And if you swing a punch at a fan, then all hell breaks loose, right? And it's up to the NBA to make sure that stuff like that don't happen. And the fact that it was a minority owner who should know better, that just, that just, it's embarrassing for the organization. It's embarrassing for the NBA. Like that stuff shouldn't happen. And I'm really glad that the NBA took action like it did. Um, I, I, I was looking on Twitter and it's, I, I've seen some stuff how the NBA and Adam Silver should pressure the, um, Mark Stevens to sell his stake in the, in the franchise. But like you, that, that stuff can't happen. And Kyle Lowry handled himself like he did in the heat of competition, as angry as he was, just shows how mature he is. And honestly, this entire team is just so mature and it just impresses me just seeing how they handle themselves on the court, like in losses and wins and situations like that. Like if, if it, for example, like it could have, you, you see your teammate getting pushed. You could have an enforcer come out a fan. Like you never know what can happen in those scenarios. And the fact that it was handled so maturely by the Raptors and by Kyle Lowry, that's impressive. And I got to tip my hat to uh, Kyle Lowry. You're absolutely right, and I do think this is also a testament to the NBA as a whole. You look at the the three major sports, uh, the three major sports leagues, rather, that being the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA. This is throwing more stock into the pot that Adam Silver is by far the best commissioner in all of sports, period. If this happened in the NFL, there would be this waiting process, right? There'd be this, oh, this this is an owner. Roger Goodell sort of uh, works for the owner. How are we going to deal with this? Or if this is the MLB with Manfred, it'd be like, oh, I, we got to review the situation. We got to make sure everything's under control. You got to credit Adam Silver to be like, no place for that, done. We're going to do something about it. Whether or not there's further consequences, I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but at least the for the immediate term, a one-year ban and a fine of a half a million dollars, that's pretty substantial, I think. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And Adam Silver, um, in his time as commissioner, he's been very, very pro-player. He's been all about protecting his players, and that's what a commissioner has to do. Like If he didn't act quickly to something like this, it would give other fans the idea that, hey, this minority owner did that. Why can't we? Right. Right. So it's very important that you have to act like accordingly and very quickly. And and this was taken care of really, really well. I have no complaints about that. And Kyle Lowry just in his in the press conference today and just after the game yesterday, like everything he said was just professional, all about his business. Like he couldn't have handled this any better. Good for the guy. Did you happen to see the? Uh the written response to the situation by LeBron James. I have. And I like, I don't know about many Toronto fans, but I love LeBron. And I mean, this is a story for another, uh, this is a conversation for another day, but I think he is the greatest of all time. And just the way he, he like handles all of these types of situations is just awesome. Like he is one of the most important spokespeople in all of sports. And I mean, that's, that's what he's supposed to do. He's the face of the NBA. 
I agree. There's this interesting dichotomy with when it comes to LeBron James. I sort of loathe the dude when he's trying to influence or quote-unquote influence front office decisions, how he's trying to quote-unquote be a player coach and assert his dominance in terms of those aspects of the game. I don't really agree with it, but when it comes to being a a speaker or an influencer or an advocate for the players, uh, I have nothing but positive things to say about him. Look, I don't know if you've watched any of the barbershop. Uh, oh. Oh, it's, it's all class. Oh. It's great. And he's so relatable. And it is really cool to see the face of the NBA, as you mentioned, like really just stick up specifically for Kyle Lowry. Yes, he was making a general statement about how that is. there's no place for that in the game to touch any player. But it is cool that he even mentioned Kyle Lowry by name and said something needs to be done because that is just absolutely disrespectful. Yeah. It's always awesome when King James uh, mentions the peasants. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love LeBron. I, I even when he was destroying us. Like, I hated him, but I kind of loved him at the same time. Because And you just see the playoffs. Like, you just realize, just watching how the playoffs are going, how great LeBron is and was when he was just dominating the East. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's move on from that. Uh, I just get, that was kind of a quick take kind of thing. I do want to talk about something that you brought up and how the Raptors are appearing to be different in terms of how they are approaching these playoffs in general. Um, you mentioned that you know the entire team is cooperative, they're poised, they're out for blood, they look cool, calm, and collected. Um, I don't know if you follow Kendrick per- Perkins on Twitter, but he did tweet out, he said, I just saw one of the scariest things ever. The Raptors won this game. No cheering, no uh, you know smiles, just business ice cold that is scary they are out for blood i'm paraphrasing here but how much of this new mentality uh is do you think is influenced by Kawhi leonard being on the team because that seems to sum up his personality as an individual and how different is this from previous years of the raptors being in the playoffs Mm -hmm. well let's first off let's just admit that Kendrick Perkins is a much better NBA analyst than he ever was an NBA player. <laughs> single NBA analyst that I just listened to, like especially in the American media, and I'm just like, yes, yeah. I completely agree with you. Like you say it how it is. This is awesome. But um, just to answer your, your question, I, I think that the Raptors are always a mature, like a mature professional team, but they kind of had a little bit of a soft side when. Um, they kind of took a big loss. They just carried over into the next game. And having guys like veterans like Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Gasol and Danny Green to being on the team, it provides them with that extra experience, extra just guys who have been there before who can say, it's okay, it's all good. We'll get them the next game. Don't let like this loss carry over to the next game. And I think just even Nick Nurse, like I think his attitude, like, when you see him on the bench, just how calm, how collected he is, it just translates over onto the court, and you just see it in how Kyle plays and how Kawhi plays, and it just it's kind of, it gets contagious when you see that your two leaders on the court and your coach have the same mentality, the same the same poise. I mean, contagious, and everybody everybody else catches on. Right, and I feel that the fans have adopted the same type of mentality as well. 
In fact, I, you know, looking back at previous seasons, there was a level of anxiety in the playoffs with previous Raptors teams. And maybe this is due to the length and the longevity of this playoff run that the Raptors are experiencing, but I don't get the sense that a lot of Raptors fans are like white-knuckling their chair every time they watch a game. I think they're approaching it with this aspect of, Anything could happen. I trust this team more than anything because they've proven that they are reliable. They've proven that they have superstars on this team. Um, I don't know. I, there's a whole new vibe when it comes to the team, and I don't know if it's it's probably has largely to do with the influence of Kawhi Leonard, especially because he is a, like a superstar in the NBA. And when you have that type of influence on your team, it's hard not to at least try to replicate it, even if it's like an, uh, a subconscious thing. Sure. And you're right with Nick Nurse. It is this even-keeled, laid-back attitude. So I think with that aspect, the players are a lot less stressed out when it comes to maybe mental errors or whatnot. I'm sure he approaches it in an even-keeled kind of way, right? He probably approaches it, and maybe this is the wrong term to use, but I'm going to use it. Maybe it's more of a modern way to approach uh, coaching your team. It's much more of a a collective thing. He'll approach them and say things like, hey, we need to avoid this. Let's work on it together, and we'll address it later. I think that goes a long way, and you have to credit like top-down for influencing that throughout the entire system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, Nick Nurse understands the kind of roster he has. He has a veteran rosters of a bunch of players or stars or good role players who have been there before. He doesn't have to babysit them like if they were a younger team. But, I mean, to to go back to your previous point, fact is Kawhi Leonard is the best basketball player the Toronto Raptors have ever had. This is not a DeMar DeRozan, and we all love DeMar DeRozan for everything he did for this team. But even like a year ago, we didn't truly know if DeMar DeRozan was the best player on this team because Kyle Lowry was just there neck and neck. Right now, there's no question Kawhi Leonard is the best player on this team, and it's not even close. And you have, and then you have guys like Pascal Siakam who have been a complete revelation this season. You have a guy like Marcus Gasol who's just such a high IQ basketball player. He's not a JV type of guy. Like this dude is a proven NBA All Star, proven Defensive Player of the Year uh, type of guy, and that's why fans should be more confident. Like I go into every single game this year going like, yeah, we have a chance to win this game. Like even yes, yesterday we're going on the road to play in the Oracle against a team that hasn't lost a home game since game seven of 2016, like a, a finals home game since that game seven. But I'm going into this game. And I'm like, yeah, I'm confident in this team because we have Kawhi and we have guys who have proven to me time and time again against Orlando, which they suck, but against Philadelphia, against Milwaukee, that they can get it done and they can fight through adversity. Like this is what, what one thing that we've learned, one of the many things that we've learned about this Raptor team throughout this postseason run is how resilient, how, how they are, how much they grind through every single game, how tough minded they are. Like this is a team that comes in and you can tell that they're confident that they can win any single game. So going into game four, like I'm confident that they can win this game, even though Clay Thompson might be back. And you know, like this is that's why uh, everyone should be more confident in this team. They're one of the best teams that I've ever seen in Toronto. They're the best team I've ever seen in Toronto. But like they're playing like a legitimate, legitimately one of the best teams of the past decade in the NBA. I completely agree. It, it's it's one of these things that the Raptors today, right? It's 
if you compare my attitude between how they were last year against Cleveland and how they are right now, it's like night and day. Last year versus Cleveland, there was a sort of impending doom because LeBron James was on the floor. And it's gotten to the point where I, I was thinking perfect world, or maybe not a perfect world, but in an alternate universe, if LeBron James was playing for the Golden State Warriors, sure, that'd be a lot harder of a task. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize the impact that he would have on that team, but I'm sort of a little less scared. Like, if you subbed out LeBron James for Steph Curry, right, and you have LeBron James leading that squad yesterday, I'm still like, no, man, I trust my team. I'm, I'm, getting rid of that ghost of LeBron James because this team is a whole different environment. It's a whole different team right now. And I I don't know. I think that goes to to the lengths that this team has changed. Not just, you know, the physical bodies on the floor, but just the mentality that they're bringing out, like referencing the Perkins thing again. That is, I don't know that you can teach that. I think that's something that you have to earn and you have to learn through experience and especially through the adversity that they've been going through this entire playoff run, as you mentioned. That is something that is so valuable that it, it, you're right. Those types of things are contagious around the locker room. And if you have that mentality, you are just a deadly player. Like you can see it in Fred Van Vliet right now. He is fearless and you can credit his the birth of his son. I'm sure it has a lot to do with it, if not all to do with it. But there is a switch flipped on him right now. And I, w- I tweeted this out. What do- If the Raptors win the finals, what are we going to do when Fred Van Vliet is finals MVP? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> his, his son would be the finals MVP. <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of cool to know that you have the best player in each series. And that's what gives you, what gives you that confidence. Because like last year, when DeMar DeRozan was here and the Raptors play against say, the Indiana Pacers and Paul George is there. Paul George is the best player in that series and he can just dominate everyone, right? Last year against the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis is the best player in that series. Kyrie, you play Boston, Kyrie Irving, you play Cleveland, it's LeBron James. But this year, it's, it's completely different. You know you're going into the game knowing that we have the best guy on the court and right. that's a lot for you confidence-wise. So that's the biggest thing that that has should have helped every Raptor fan with their confidence going into this playoff run. But yeah, and you can just see how it translates over to everybody on the team. And now Fred Van Bleed looks like Larry Bird with a shot. Did you see the stats of the before and after the birth of his son? Oh yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. Like, like bef- before his son, he looked like me playing basketball. After his son, he, he looks like LeBron James. Like, it's awesome. It's... um. Just for the sake of uh, continuity here, 15 games before, 15 playoff games rather, before the birth of his son. Uh, four points he averaged, that's 25.6% from the field, 19.5% from three, averaging 2.7 dimes. But since his son was born in six games, averaging 15.2 points per game, 56.9% from the field, we'll give him 57. And 57.1% from three, averaging two and a half dimes. Yeah, the dimes have trickled down a little bit because, well, he's scoring at a ridiculous pace. So anytime you have anybody coming off the bench shooting 57% from three, that is so valuable, especially against a Golden State team. Yeah, Yeah, that's insane. Like The difference is... Honestly, incredible. I have no idea how something like that can happen. Like, 
I remember a couple of weeks ago, everybody was just asking if it's time to put Jeremy Lin. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And now, but that being said, Jeremy Lin has just played his first final minutes before, say, Chris Paul has. So, Wow. What a world we live in. All right, so uh, speaking of the best player on the floor, Kawhi Leonard last night had 30 points. It was kind of a quiet 30 points. In fact, he didn't come in until five minutes in the fourth quarter. He checked in around the seven-minute mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. He definitely seems a little bit hobbled, but he's playing through it. He's making no excuses, especially in interviews and press conferences. When they ask him about it, he gives nothing. He gives no excuses, no nothing. Um Having said that, he's proven that he can play through pain. The rumor is he's dealing with knee tendonitis. I don't think it's going to slow him down. I think that he's making a conscious effort in the first half to not really push it and save it for the second half. That's sort of what I've been seeing. Um, Does any of this concern you for the remainder of the finals games? Because if something is wrong with Kawhi that hobbles him Mm -hmm. and really, I don't want to say puts him on the shelf, but limits him, uh, we're in serious trouble, but it doesn't look like that's on the way. What do you think? Well, yeah, first of all, it's really cool to see how the Raptors have been a better team while Kawhi Leonard hasn't been at his best. And even, like you said, he had a very quiet game yesterday, but then you look at the box score and it's 30 points on super efficient shooting night. But I think you got to credit the uh, Golden State Warriors as well because they've been trapping him really, really well with throwing Draymond Green at him, throwing Andre Godala at him. Even yesterday in the second quarter, you see Andrew Bogut running up there, who's a very smart defender. Like The Warriors have been following their game plan, which is to trap Kawhi Leonard and making him feel as uncomfortable as possible. And over the, these past three games, we've seen Kawhi Leonard make some pretty bad decisions with the basketball. Like He's been turning the ball over a little bit more. He hasn't been passing out of the double team as quickly as he should be. But I mean, hopefully he's getting as much treatment as he can as he can um, during the off days, and you just you just feel like he has a couple of those big Kawhi Leonard games left in him because when he's on, I don't know if there's anybody in the NBA who can stop him in like this sort of playoff Kawhi. So I'm just I'm just hopeful that we can get it. And honestly, Game Four, if the Raptors can get that. The typical Kawhi Leonard superstar game that would be huge for this team. It'd be amazing, and you know you're right. Like the, I feel much like the Bucks with Leonard. Um, the Warriors aren't really allowing him to get on the inside and use his body as he's used to, right? To to sort of plow through and draw fouls. They're they're making the effort to limit that, if not trying to eliminate it completely. Um, and it's it's kind of working. I don't know if it has, again, anything to do with the injury, but there were a couple of times that he had to dribble through traffic, and I was a little hesitant. I was more like, Kawhi, that doesn't seem like a Kawhi decision to make to really dribble through three guys. Like yeah. I, I get on a fast break. If there's a dude in front of him, he's going to try to plow through him. Mm-hmm. But some of the decisions I thought were questionable, but who am I to question Kawhi Leonard, really? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is... It does seem like they're trying to prevent him from coming into the paint, and he's shooting a lot more shots from the outside, but he's doing it well. Like He's still scoring, like we said, 30 points. He led the whole team in scoring yesterday, and it's quiet, right? Even though he had the most points, I feel like a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who only put up 11, still had a louder game because of the impact of the shots that he made. So it's really cool to see that Kawhi, even though he is a little bit hobbled, um, he is still putting up numbers, and I think you're right. I think 
if a game four situation with Clay coming back and we don't know the condition that he's going to be in, but with KD already ruled out, if they really want to put their boot on their throats, taking game four in Golden State would be crazy. And what better way to do it with Kawhi Leonard just shoving it down their throats? Yeah, for sure. And I think you also have to you have to say that because the Raptors won that game three with just a combined team effort, it's kind of overshadows the thirty points that Kawhi scores. Like when Fred Van Vliet scores eleven off the pen off the bench and defends Steph Curry like he does, when Marcus Saul just dominates inside for the majority of the game, finishes at seventeen, Siakam and Green have eighteen, Larry has twenty three. Because it's such a combined team effort, I think that's what makes that Kawhi Leonard game a little quieter. You know, this is the Overtime Podcast Network. Well, let's talk about Game Four then. Let's uh, let's move on to that. So we know KD is not going to play. So let's just start there. Honestly, your honest opinion: Are we seeing him at all throughout the rest of this playoff run? I mean, before the series started, I said I don't think Kevin Durant's going to play. So I'm just going to stick with that, but I'm developing such major trust issues because of the Warriors training staff. Like, I don't know who's playing ever anymore. Like, it's horrible. But I'm, I'm just going to say Kevin Durant won't, won't play. And if he does, hopefully we have a 3-1 lead when he does. There was a video released on Twitter uh, of him uh, dapping up the players after the game in the hallway. And I noticed that the ice pack was not on his calf. It was on his heel, towards his heel where the Achilles is. Um, That leads me to believe that this is not a calf injury. I'm sure this is a level of gamesmanship that the Warriors are playing. Like, ooh, we're cautiously optimistic, quote-unquote, that he's going to play. And maybe he'll play game five. I just don't see it, man. Like, I saw the warm-up videos of him shooting, as we discussed on your show. Uh, Very flat-footed, didn't look good at all. Um, He's just, it's not working for him. I just don't think that a guy like Kevin Durant... Uh, in that type of condition, wants to risk the future of you know his NBA career. Maybe if he want, really wants another ring that bad, but does he really need to prove it to himself that he needs another ring in order to get a max deal? He's going to get it anyway. So why risk your body? That's my position on it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like I don't, I don't think I see, I don't see it. Like yesterday, like you said, the ice pack was more lower down on his on his leg. Um, it's been a month, over a month since he's last played now, I believe. And if it's a minor calf sprain, which is what they initially said it was, then I mean, what's going on at this point, right? And you just see how he interacts with his team in, in the in the in the tunnel, and he's just he's still limping around, like. I, like I'm using my eyes right now. Like I can't imagine this guy going from having an ice pack after a game of him just sitting around watching a basketball game and then limping around to him coming out on Friday and just blowing everybody out. You know. Well, we do know that Clay Thompson is going to be active tomorrow. Um, he expects to see no limitations in his play. In fact, that he was fighting the uh, medical staff and Steve Kerr in order to play for game three. They thought it would do him well to get another day of rest or another few more days of rest. Um, I personally don't think that he will be limited in any capacity. I think he knows his body. I don't really see this as gamesmanship. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be 100%, but I certainly don't want to treat him as if he's not 100%. So in that aspect, I do think that he will maybe not be as impactful as he was, say, game two, especially the start of game two, 
But uh, I don't know. I, I just hope that he's not out there and just raining threes on the Raptors because they think that he's, you know, just this decoy role. Uh, I My advice is just defend him as you normally would and see what happens. Yeah, and for the most part, the Raptors have done a very good job at closing out on shooters. So, and I, I don't really know what to expect from Clay Thompson. Like, it's a hamstring strain. Like, that's, I mean, even if it's mild, that's still a pretty serious injury yeah. for a basketball because especially a guy like Clay, he runs a lot of miles during the game. He runs off a ton of screens, lots of cutting. He's going to be tasked with defending probably Kawhi uh, for for a good chunk of game four. Like there's a, he's got a lot of responsibilities. So for him to after doing all of that to using his legs to get up there to sh- take shots, like I mean, I don't know if I'm expecting him to just go off. I think he's going to be okay. But I don't know if he's going to be that incredible Clay Thompson just straight out the gate, you know. Yeah, you're right. The pace in which they play, it, 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 it there's a lot of moving, a lot of movement rather, in their offense, especially to try to get both him and Curry open. They weave through the defenders a lot, and if he's limited in any way, they might just sort of camp him in the corner, or camp him at the the above the break to try to get those threes in, but. I don't know, especially in the offensive end, if anything, and I don't want to like you know encourage the Warriors for anything, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's the primary defender on maybe either a Danny Green or a Kyle Lowry. Um, maybe they're they're going to put him on the easiest defensive matchup that they can give him in order to sort of mitigate that aspect so he could be productive on offense. For sure, and if anything, the, the Raptors can always use use the pick and roll to or just. Forced the Warriors to switch, but just going into Game Four, my biggest concern, if I'm a Warriors fan, is Demarcus Cousins because he just looked horrible in Game Three, uh, and we saw this in Game One when Marcus Gasol is aggressive and Nick Nurse allows him to kind of, kind of d- direct the offense a little bit. You can just see that he just completely takes Demarcus Cousins out of the game. So if we see Marcus Gasol come out similar to how he did in Game Three. Like Demarcus Cousins might turn into a complete non-factor yet again, and like Draymond Green hasn't been that good in, in the, the past three games, other than that stretch in the third quarter of Game Two. Like the Warriors have issues outside of Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Like st- I think Steph Curry and Clay Thompson ultimately will be good. The big issues for the Warriors are ev- is everybody else. Yeah, and that's just a credit to how well the Raptors have been doing defensively. All right, let's stop uh, messing around. Let's just go for it. What do you have for a game for Raptors? This is the second game in Golden State, in Oakland, rather. Um, I'll let you go first, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to be the guy to say it. So what do you think? Raptors taking this one game for, or are they going to take the L? I mean, I've, gone, I've, I've come this far with this team, and I'm never going to bet against the Raptors ever again in, in these playoffs. So I'm just going to go Raptors. Like, Ooh. it's a road game. The Raptors have to just kind of play like they did it against Milwaukee in Game 5, which is just kind of hang around there, uh, just stick around there for three quarters, and just try to pull it out in the fourth quarter. So hopefully the Raptors do exactly that in Game 4, and I'll be happy. Fun times. I'm with you. Like I, <laughs> I know it seems like the hubris is bleeding in, and we're super overconfident, and I know this is Golden State. right? They can... They can just kill you in your confidence in blink of an eye. Yeah, but Adam, Adam, it's not. I wouldn't say it's confidence. It's more that we don't want to watch them lose. Yeah. And at the 
today. It doesn't really matter what our prediction is. So let's just pick the Raptors. It's let's the just final. do it. Yeah, fuck let's, it. Fuck it, you know? <laughs> All right, Raptors. Oh, dude, this is why I want the Raptors to take this. Not only because, obviously, I want to take as many games as possible in the finals, but going back home in a game five, needing that win to take it all. Like, oh. how loud do you think the Scotiabank Arena would be? If oh, my God. The, the NBA Finals, the title was literally... The title will be in the fucking building. Like, the Larry O'Brien Trophy will be there in a just-in-case aspect if the Raptors take this one tomorrow night in wow. Golden State. That is fucking unreal. It's crazy how the Larry O'Brien Trophy might see the floor before uh, Kevin Durant does in these finals. <laughs> Oh man, that would be insane. Like I'm going to make sure to be down there in Toronto on like a Friday night waiting in that line so I can be the first one into Jurassic Park on Monday. Jeez, dude. The first and only time the Larry O'Brien trophy would be won on non-American soil. That's crazy. Not, now we're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Well, it's certainly possible that the Raptors take game four. So you and I are both predicting a win. You're right. At the end of the day, it doesn't really fucking matter what our predictions are. It's just a win's a win. So let's just roll with this team. They haven't failed us yet. Raptors taking this one. Raptors in five. Fuck it. Raptors in five. Let's go. Let's and go. The, and the cool thing is the Warriors have scored 109 points the past three games. So all the Raptors really have to do tomorrow is just score 110 points. And they'll That's- be good. <laughs> That's all it really takes. Uh, and they finally won a third quarter, too, the Raptors. In fact, they won every single quarter last night. So they're on the up and up, man. They're trending uh, trending in the right direction. So, all right, we'll, ra- we'll wrap it up here. You know the deal, dude. Uh, promote any and everything you got going on, the podcast, the baseball podcast, anything you got going, go for it, dude. Floor is yours. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me. I love being on your podcast, talking basketball, whenever we talk baseball. Um I'm wrapping up my thesis at Brock University, doing a lot of pitching studies, as, as I said many times. Uh, boy. Got a podcast, a basketball podcast, Pick and Pod. Every single week, we're reca- recapping Raptor games. They're going to be talking draft whenever the Raptors hopefully win their championship. Um, got a b- baseball podcast, Pitching the Contact. We just did a really, really great preview for the draft. Um, we got a couple of really cool guests coming up in the near future. So stay tuned. Lots and lots of things in the works. All the links to those podcasts and Rich's work will be in the description of the show. Highly encourage those that aren't following to follow and subscribe to all of that. Dude, let's take this one in game four. Let's take this one on the road. Raptor's going to take it. Let's go. Let's let it rip. for listening to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors